0: Good morning, our scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 23 and can be found on your uh, page, on page 723 in the Pew Bible. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents including Daniel. To these the satraps gave account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption. Because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone divine or human for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and interdict. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him. Just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very distressed, very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, "'Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed.'" Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau,
1: I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer, and we're in a series right now called Best Stories Ever, and some of the things, I love these stories, love these stories. One of the things you got to know is some of these great stories from the Old Testament are kind of long, and Ms. Ruth just read 23 verses for us. Thank you very much, Ms. Ruth. Because it is a relatively long passage, I thought it would be helpful if, just right here at the beginning, I gave you the moral of the story. Here it is. Daniel's story is a tale about the way that God helps God's people overcome persecution. Daniel's story is a tale about the way God helps God's people overcome persecution. It teaches us that when we do what is right and what is righteous we will often find ourselves persecuted for it. Now that's an idea that I think most of us can wrap our heads around, but I'm not not—I'm not sure that we really understand it. I feel like about half of the counseling I've done in my career as a pastor has been counseling to people who are good and righteous people experiencing a time of trial or persecution and trying to figure out why, if I am good and righteous... Why am I being persecuted? Well, here's why. Because Jesus told us in John chapter 14, He said, The servant's not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. My brothers and sisters, if we, God's people, do what is right and what is righteous, we're going to face persecution for it. The Persian king, Persia, by the way, was the largest empire in the history of the world at the time that this story takes place. The Persian king had divided this massive empire into 120 different provinces and set atop each province a governor called a satrap. Those 120 governors answered to three presidents who, in turn, answered to the king. Daniel was one of the presidents. He was one of the four most powerful men in the largest empire the world had ever seen to that moment. And apparently, Daniel was really good at it. And because he was good, because he was right, because he was righteous and just, he got thrown into a den of lions. Friends, I just think something we have to understand is that doing things that are right and righteous will make our lives harder. Did you hear that? Doing things that are right and righteous will make our lives harder, but that's okay. You know why? Because when we are persecuted for doing things that are right and righteous, God has our back. I wonder what the hard thing is that God is calling you to do. Perhaps it's to establish stronger boundaries in your relationships Perhaps it's standing up to someone who is doing something you know to be wrong. Maybe it involves taking a pay cut or risking career progression, speaking a hard but loving truth to a friend. God often calls us to do things that are hard. What is the hard thing that God is calling you to do in this moment of your life? When I was first appointed as a senior pastor, I got to the church and met this amazing person who loved Jesus very much and was helping to lead one of our ministry areas, but I saw early on that the ministry was not as fruitful as it could have been. So, being a well-intentioned, loving leader, I began to have conversations with this person. But the problem is they've been doing it for a while. And they weren't terribly interested in change. To make a long, long story short, two years later... I removed that person from that leadership position and put somebody else in there. And and something amazing occurred. That ministry started to grow at the same rate that the rest of the church had been growing for those two years. Now, I'm in the habit as your pastor of telling you stories in which I am regularly the idiot, not the hero. And if it seems to you as if I am the hero in the story I just told you, let me tell you why I'm actually the idiot. Because I knew on day one what I should have done. And it took me two years, two years, two years to do it. Think of all the lives that could have been impacted. Two years. And they weren't a pleasant two years either. They were a sleepless nights kind of two years. They were what if they leave the church kind of two years. They were I want everybody to like me kind of two years. Imagine what could have happened if two years before I did it, if originally when I got there, when I knew what needed to be done, I had done the hard thing that God was calling me to do. Imagine how much more fruit could have been born. Why do we think that doing what is right is going to make people happy? When we do what we are supposed to do, the hard thing that God is calling us to do, there will often be persecution because we live in a still broken world, church. And that can be a difficult pill to swallow. But Daniel came face to face with it. You know, I was doing some research this week and I found something kind of interesting. It turns out that Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, was a big fan of the book of Daniel. He actually referred to Daniel as one of the great passive resistors of history. Those who opposed this righteous man came up with a plan to get him simply because he was right and righteous. They convinced the king to sign an interdict. That people could only pray to the king for 30 days. That's it. Nobody else. And if they prayed to anybody but the king, they needed to be thrown into a den of lions. So check out what Daniel does in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem... And to get down on his knees three times a day to pray and praise God just as he had done previously. I just want to point something out. Do you notice that the windows did what? They opened towards Jerusalem. You know, the crazy thing about windows that open is they can generally close. My point is this. Not only did Daniel do what was right and righteous... But he wasn't afraid to do it in a manner that allowed people to see him doing what was right and righteous. Even though it was a hard thing, even though it was going to cost him greatly, Daniel did what he was called to do. But can I tell you something? And don't leave, don't leave when I say this, okay? Just don't leave. Daniel is not my favorite guy in the Bible. What? Don't get me wrong. I love this story. It's an amazing story, but it's, it's Daniel I can't wrap my head around. Because they, they come up with this entire, entire controversy to try and get him thrown into a den of lions. You know what he says before he goes into the den of lions? Nothing. He doesn't say anything. I don't know how well you know me or not, but it probably won't be hard for you to imagine that I'm an extrovert, an external processor. And so when Daniel encounters this problem and says nothing, he's just silent. He's just silent. I don't understand that. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar showed him the fiery furnace. He said, unless you bow down to this silly statue back here, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, oh, king... Perhaps our God will rescue us, but if not, we are still going to praise Him and only Him. Man, that was good. Last week, Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones. Mortal, can these bones live? Ezekiel said, oh Lord God, you know, it was a great answer. He didn't say yes, he didn't say no, he didn't give up faith, he didn't try to manufacture more faith than he had. He just spoke honestly, I can do something with that. Daniel says nothing. This plot is fomented against him. He says nothing, but maybe... Maybe that's the lesson that we should learn. Daniel doesn't complain. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to litigate. He wasn't drawn into mudslinging. He didn't send a letter of outrage one of the things you probably know by me is that one of my great, about me but this far is that one of my great indictments against our society is this belief that we regularly mistake complaining for action. But Daniel didn't complain. He took a humble, faithful step. And then, he trusted God. He took a humble, faithful step. And then he trusted God. It is important as women and men of faith in God and Jesus Christ and the blessed Holy Spirit for us to understand when we do the hard thing God is calling us to do, when we do what is right and what is righteous, we will often face persecution. But let me make the waters a little muddier. When we do what's right and righteous, we'll face persecution. But just because we face persecution doesn't mean we have done what is right and righteous. My first job in life, aside from working for my parents, my first job in life was teaching people how to play laser tag at Laserport in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. It was the perfect job for me. I paid like eight bucks an hour, which was fine. I didn't have anything to do with the money. Eight bucks an hour. I didn't have to be there until nine o'clock in the morning. I worked in the air conditioning all day and I got to teach people how to play laser tag. Listen, I know this room is filled with Marines. And you could shoot the fly's wings off from a thousand feet away. Your pastor could still whip you at laser tag. I just want you to know that. <laughs> it's my spiritual gift, church. I love that job. Until one day, <laughs> my boss came to me and said, "Rob, um, tomorrow morning we have to uh, we have to pour a concrete sidewalk on the back of the building. So would you come in at six o'clock and help us in the morning and help us pour the concrete?" I was like, "What? Are you kidding me? First of all, I make eight dollars an hour. Construction people make a lot more than that." Secondly, there's a reason I got a job that starts at 9 a.m. and it's inside the air conditioning. So I was convinced that I was experiencing great persecution and then I made my fatal flaw. I went home and I told my dad about it. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the great tail chewings of my young life. My dad said to me, Son, they pay you more than they have to. To teach people to play a game... In the middle of the day, in the middle of the air conditioning, and the one time they ask you to help and do something hard, your response is to complain about it? He was right. But until that moment, until I got a different perspective, I was convinced that I was right. When we experience persecution, you know, it's it's a worthy question to ask, is this fair or is it unfair? Is this persecution or is it correction? Because if it's correction, I don't want to miss the lesson that God is trying to teach me in this moment. Amen? If it's correction, I want to learn the lesson. But if it really is persecution, you know what we should do? Rejoice. Because Jesus said it this way, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's That's why James says, Consider it pure joy when you encounter persecutions, trials of many kinds. If the persecution is because of our righteousness, Jesus promises our reward will be the kingdom of heaven. If the persecution is actually correction, we get a chance to learn a lesson. Either way, persecution makes for a better tomorrow. But, how we experience and deal with persecution is only part of the story of Daniel. In fact, it's not its not really a tale about Daniel. Daniel is not the hero of Daniel's story. At the beginning of our time here today, I, I told you that, that the moral of the story of Daniel is that it, it's, it's a tale about how God helps us overcome persecution. Probably a better way to describe it is the story of Daniel is a tale about how God overcomes persecution for us. Daniel's pronounced guilty, and he's thrown into a den of lions. I want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, look with me at verse 16 and following. The king gave the command and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lord, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him. Sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, "O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you have faithfully served, been able to deliver you from the lions?" Daniel then said to the king, "O oh, King, live forever." My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king, I have done no wrong. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Friends, I want to share three lessons we learn in the lion's den with you here today. Lesson number one. When Daniel finally does say something, did you notice? He's not arguing. He's testifying. Reminds me of the story of Jesus when He heals the blind man in John chapter 9. You remember that story? He heals the blind man on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees are really upset that Jesus had done this on the Sabbath day. And so they... They draw the, the man who was blind into a debate, a, a philosophical and theological debate about the merits and demerits of Christ. And they want to know, was is that man a sinner? And I, I, love, I love the formerly blind man's response. He said, I don't know the answer to these questions that you're asking me. Here's what I know. I was blind. But now I see. When I was a kid, I thought it was my job to argue with people about the theological and philosophical virtue of Christianity. As I've grown a bit more mature in my faith, I recognize that my job is simply to tell them what Christ has done for me. That's what Daniel does. He doesn't argue. He testifies. The first lesson that we learn in the lion's den is this. When God rescues us, we must testify. When God rescues us, we've got to tell somebody about it. Lesson two. Persecution's going to come. When we stand up and do what God calls us to do, that hard thing God calls us to do, persecution will come. But what we need to remember is this, when persecution comes, God will handle it. That's the second lesson. When persecution comes, God will rescue us. We see it all over the Bible. God showed up for the children in the furnace. God showed up for Daniel in the lion's den. When we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, God always, always, always rescues us. And you might say, well, that's pretty language, Pastor, but it hasn't always been my experience because my family and I, we faced some trials at different times in our lives. We had someone who was sick. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed but they died anyway. What happens when we face persecution and trials and God doesn't seem to handle it? Well, that brings me to the third point, the third lesson we learn in the lion's den. Do you know that many people read the story of Daniel in the lion's den as a precursor, a foretaste of what happens with Christ on Easter? Think about it. Daniel's tossed into this pit synonymous with death. It is sealed. And when morning breaks, he emerges victorious. There are a number of Old Testament passages that give us a foretaste of the resurrection. We read one last week. Ezekiel and the Valley of the Dry Bones. The Valley of the Dry Bones is a testimony that death is not the end of life. Amen, church? We see it in the story of Jonah. You remember Jonah's story? He's thrown overboard by the people on the ship. He gets swallowed by a big fish. It was a whale, but we'll call it a big fish. How long does he spend in the belly of the fish? Three days. And then he finds himself walking around on dry land. And then we have the story of Daniel. There are all kinds of precursors to the resurrection in the Old Testament. And the resurrection is the single most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. It's incredibly important for us. But I want to make sure we understand the story of Daniel from the perspective of those who were experiencing it as it was happening. You see, God's people were being held captive in Babylon by the Persians. That's the lens through which they saw this story. Remember, Persia was the greatest empire the world had ever seen. God's people were under the foot of imperial power. There's a theologian named Daniel Smith Christopher. He said, resurrection itself is a direct threat to imperial power. He went on to say this, he said, putting it bluntly, if the empire can't keep its executed prisoners dead, where is their power? They had one chief threat. Death. But what happens when the dead won't stay dead? My brothers and sisters, forces of evil and sin and death are still at work in this world. And sometimes we feel surrounded by them. People in this very room have experienced great loss. The loss of loved ones, the loss of children, the loss of spouses and parents and friends. And it could be so easy for us to reflect on the power of suffering and persecution and tribulation and death. But here's the problem With that kind of despair, Christians believe the dead don't stay dead, church. If we do the thing, the hard thing that God is calling us to do, we're gonna face persecution. What's the worst that could happen? We could die. But God has our backs. Because in Christ, the dead don't stay dead. In October, I will be traveling to Bo, Sierra Leone in Africa. One weekend, we're going to go for Bo. The next weekend, I'm going to Bo. I'll talk about that more in a few weeks. But as I was preparing to go, I have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. And one of the forms is called the notification of death form. It filled out. And it asks ask you know, who you want us to call if the bad stuff happens over there. And then you have to decide, do you want to be cremated over there or do you want us to send your whole body? It's, it's, it was a moment, right? And, and I'm telling you that for just a moment, the process of going over there got very real for me. Now, it's not as dangerous as doing something like driving on Interstate 95, but it could still be dangerous, church. And then I remembered... It's okay. Because in Christ the dead don't stay dead. What in the world is keeping me from doing what God has called me to do when the worst thing that could happen has been rendered powerless? My friend Mark Miller was fond of saying, we are not in the land of the living moving towards death. We are in the land of the dying and moving towards life. That's why Paul said, Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Evil has lost its power. It's like fighting an enemy who's out of bullets. You Marines, you who I could whip at laser tag, listen to me for just a moment. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to battle and knowing that the enemy was out of rounds? The victory would be assured. When we do what is right and what is righteous, we will face persecution and tribulation. But God has our back. And that's the third lesson of the lion's den. God will shut the gaping maw of the lion that is in front of us. Perhaps in this life. Perhaps in the life to come. But God will shut the mouth of that lion. So what's the humble, righteous act that God is calling you to undertake? What is the hard thing God is calling you to do? Maybe it's finally picking up the phone and repairing that relationship. Maybe it's jumping into that new job you've been thinking about or taking that next course. Maybe it's a new path. Church, Our God can cause dry bones to live again. Our God can shut the mouths of lions. And He calls His people to do hard things for the kingdom. What are we waiting on? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank You for these amazing stories that are found all throughout Scripture. We thank You for the fact that they testify to Your tremendous power over evil and suffering, over pain and over death. We thank You that You have removed the fear, the great source of fear, because in Christ the dead don't stay dead. And God, we ask for Your grace. You who... Call dry bones back to life again. You who shuts the gaping maw of the lions in front of us. We ask for your grace to have the courage to do the hard thing that you've called us to do. And as we undergo the persecution that will come as a result of it, help us to remember that you have our backs. Now and forevermore. We pray these things in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord of the resurrection, and all of God's people said, Amen.